0: based on this book of Haggai, and today, actually, Jonathan's going to continue that, talking about how how to hold on to God's promises and look and anticipate for the things that God has promised you, even when times are hard, because I think when life is hard, we're like, God's never going to do what he said he will, but it's really important for us to hold on to that, to those promises, so Jonathan's going to talk a little bit more about that. Let's give it up for Jonathan.
1: Good to be here. Ooh. Alright, we keep talking. I keep scaring myself here. But it's good to be here. I just have a real sense today that God is ready to speak to us. To speak to each of us individually. And as Jenny said, we're last week and this week we're going through this one page book of the Bible, this one page, two chapter book of Haggai that is in the Old Testament. And it's really a time when the people of Israel had come back to the land of Israel after they'd been captives for 70 years. And there were a lot of challenges they were facing. And God used this man named Haggai and his buddy, this other prophet named Zechariah, to speak encouraging messages from God to help them to, to draw near to God, to have perspective and hope in the midst of really challenging situations. And I believe God wants to just we're going to look today in the second chapter at five different promises that God gave through Haggai to the people that are promises God has for us as well. And I really believe that God wants us to be here to, to hear from him, to hear a promise from God to you today and a promise from God to you that you can also pass on to somebody else. And so um, I really hope that's you all's heart. I, I know that's why you guys are here. Because if that wasn't why you were here, we would just be doing some religious motions, and I might as well just go walk off the balcony after we're done, because <laughs> <laughs> it's pointless. But I'm not going to do that, because we're going we're to hear from God. But I, I think, I'm hoping we're going to have time, I want to ask at the end of, after I talk through this, this message, for one or two of you to say, man, that was something I heard that spoke to my heart, and I want to hold on to that. I know God has that for me. Um, or maybe something I want to pass on to somebody else. So if you have your can your um, you take notes or a notebook. We're going to be looking at, at five promises. And before we go farther, I want to pray. Just ask God to really speak to us. Because it's not, obviously, I've already demonstrated in the last 90 seconds. It's not my, my eloquence that we're trusting in here. But it's that God speaks. And God speaks through his word. So let's open up our hearts to him. Lord, we look to you today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for your spirit and your presence with us. Thank you that you have something for each of us today that you're speaking. Lord, we want to open up our hearts to to listen and to be encouraged and to be maybe redirected, whatever whatever you want to do. Lord, would you help us? We listen to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, on uh, Wednesday night... Our day was winding down. I think Reagan had fallen asleep, which tends to happen a little earlier than I fall asleep. She has a tougher day every day with our family and everything. But I turned on the Royals game, which I grew up listening to the Royals a lot. It's kind of a summer since mentality. And it was towards the end of the game. And the Royals, lo and behold, top of the seventh inning, had a breakout and they broke open a 2-2 tie with the St. Louis Cardinals and went up 5-2. And it's like, okay, finally, the Royals are good. <laughs> let's look and get it. And so bottom of the seventh, Royals, they, they don't allow any runs. Bottom of the eighth, they don't allow any runs. We get to the last half inning, three outs to go. Guess what happens? The Royals have another meltdown. And they give up four runs off two hits they actually walked in the last time run, or winning run for the Cardinals and lost the game. So it was, it was a letdown. Letdowns aren't much fun. I tried again two nights later on Friday. Turn on the Royals game. Same thing happened. Not quite as dramatic. They lost the game in the bottom of the ninth inning once again. I was like, man, this is just like symbolic of 2020 or something. It's like, yeah. just when you think there's hope. Just when you think like there's there's, things are going to turn around, it's like there's a letdown. And I think, you know, letdowns or disillusionment is one of the hardest things to deal with in life. Proverbs says that hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is, is a tree of life. When we have hope, we're hoping for something, and then it doesn't happen, that is a really hard thing. To process. And if you haven't figured it out yet, I kind of wish that, I totally wish this wasn't true, but life has a lot of letdowns. There are a lot of letdowns in life. Praise the Lord. Give the Lord a shout. Yeah, I mean, great. Well, yeah, we're here to learn there are a lot of letdowns in life. But the question is not, will there be letdowns? But will I let my mentality be framed by those letdowns? Or will I start to think that you know this is just the way it is, and I'm just gonna like let that frame things and let go of hope or let go of anticipation for something better? Or is there something that I have a, a way of thinking from God that I can go through the letdowns of life and and not let the letdown totally take me out? Does this make sense? You guys, all right, I mean 2020, I, it's like a symbol of the year, right? The schools, I mean, our school's going to stay open. Our kids just started class this last week, K-12, through 12, and it's like, right. I mean, there's a, a lot of expectation that, you know, they're only in person two days, but it's, it, we don't know if that's going to last. It's, it's a lot, of, well, there's so many things this year. Obviously, the events in Wisconsin this past week, so difficult, so tragic. So much, so much heartbreak and just exposure of the, the brokenness of our world. And really, there are, again, I think three categories of things that let us down. And well, there's maybe more, but the three things I just want to touch on. Um, we're, we can be let down by the state of the world. And okay, we need, we need I say anything more? The state of the world. It, it's oftentimes seems like evil is winning. It seems like the darkness. Is getting darker. It seems like you know Wisconsin. I mentioned we have our our daughter. We found out we got a diagnosis this summer that she's got a really tough to treat kind of epilepsy, and we're wrestling through all of that. And she has these seizures that are really hard to control medically. And then the type of epilepsy she has, we 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 start looking at what that means. And you know, it's most people it's like an autism spectrum. She, her situation is really mild. But others with this condition, it's it's much more extreme. And so it's just overwhelming when you just are around the pain and the brokenness of life. We're just like, man, people, there's just a lot of of things in the world that aren't the way they should be. So the state of the world lets us down. The second thing that lets us down is the state of God's endeavor. The state of the church, right? The state of, of, we're going to look in the Old Testament here. It's going to be the state of God's project with building his temple. It, it seems like, man, the things that should be, like, God should be changing things in the world, like God's people, the church, it's oftentimes a letdown there, too. It's like, man, it just doesn't seem like it's, it's all it cracked up to be or all I, all I hoped it would be. Um, how come things seem so small and insignificant when it comes to what God is doing in the world or God's, God's endeavors? Why isn't it making more of a difference? And then another thing that can really let us down is ourselves right I mean we, I'm, I'm really good at letting myself down I in the last 10 days I have sent my debit card through the wash twice <laughs> not just once but twice okay it's a whole new of a whole new form of money laundering going on
2: it's
1: just like we're just it's yeah like, wow that was a long i out growing right there <laughs> that our failures our our lack of success right it's like man I just I, I, I let myself down so often my sin I we we let ourselves down and others down with our failures and our sins and our shortcomings all the time and that lack of success that lack of, of being the kind of people we really feel like we should be leads to big questions about our very identity about who am I do I do I have what it takes to be anything in this life? And because I just keep like letting myself down and letting other people down, and it just seems like maybe that's maybe that's who I am. And so this, uh, as we look at Haggai, we're going to look at how the people were experiencing the same sort of the same sort of emotions. Um, we're going to last week we looked at chapter one. We looked at how God helps us respond to setbacks. And keep our anticipation alive We live with the anticipation. Today we're really looking at moving past a letdown. And we're looking at, as I said earlier, five promises that God brings in this chapter. So I'll just start it off, chapter 2, verse 1. We read in the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now, it is the the son of Shelteel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadah, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people. So I just want to pause there. and say it's interesting that Haggai is set, as we've talked about, when the exiles of Israel returned to Jerusalem after seven years of captivity. And there were two leaders that are spoken about in, in the book of Haggai, and then the next book in the Bible is Zechariah, which was another prophet during this time. And the books of Ezra and Nehemiah tell the whole story um, earlier in the Bible. But these two characters, Zerubbabel and Joshua, are the two main leaders of Israel at this time. And Zerubbabel is the, the governor. He's the political leader. And we know um, from the, the rest of the Bible that he's actually a descendant of David. He's he's like the rightful uh, king as far as as far as chronology goes, or as far as you know the his his grandfather was his great grandfather was the king and then it was passed down would have been passed down to him except the nation was in was in captivity and they didn't really have a king but he's like kind of a governor right now so he's the political leader and then Joshua is the high priest so he's the the kind of spiritual leader of the people and really these these people represent all of us too because there's a sense in, in the New Testament we're told in 1 in Peter 2.9 that followers of Jesus become a royal priesthood. In Revelation, in chapter 1 and chapter 5, it says that God makes his followers kings and priests before God. And so there's a sense that God has, the identity God has for each of us is to be spiritual leaders and just other sorts of leaders in, in the world. Kings and priests in life, bringing God's will, bringing God's kingdom. Into the world. And so these promises, what he's going to speak to them, really is what he, God speaks to his people. And that's why it's in the Bible for us now. Um, verse 3, what, what does God say to Joshua and Zerubbabel and all the people and, and to us? He says, who's left among you? Who saw this house. And he's speaking of the, the temple project that they had just begun, this, this rebuilding project we talked about last week. Um, who, who, who's left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? So the people had started to, they would actually laid the foundation of this temple like 12 years earlier, and then they took a break because of opposition. But then a month earlier, they'd started building again, and God had encouraged them, and they brought their resources, and they were starting to build, and hope was returning. But then people were looking at it and going, ah, it doesn't look so (laughs) great, actually. Like, this is supposed to be the house of God? And there were people there, the the oldest people there had been children when the previous temple had been destroyed. And that temple had been magnificent. That temple had been originally built by Solomon, it was built at the golden age of Israel, when after David had been king and then his son Solomon was king, and they had stored up tons and tons of riches. The Bible says silver was so plentiful in Jerusalem it was like dust in the streets. Like they had just got, it was the golden age of of the Old Testament kingdom of Israel. And so they, Solomon had built this magnificent temple. And, but then it it had been destroyed because the people had been unfaithful. And now they were starting to rebuild a temple, but the dimensions weren't as grand. They didn't have as much gold and silver. And they were, you know what it's like when you build any house. It just doesn't look so great when you're in the building project. And so they're like, oh my goodness, like, what's the point? It's just, this doesn't seem like it's going to be much. This, this seems like it's a failure. We, it's especially compared to, to what we remember in the past. And our vision of what it should be. It's just, it, it's less. And there was this big sense of, of letdown that they experienced. And so God's answer is, he's going to speak hope. He's going to speak a divine perspective. He's going to speak promises to his people. And... Um, it's important to know that promises are really important. One of the ways God, one of the most important ways God speaks to us and God works in the world is through his promises. God promises something, and then he looks to people who believe his promise and hold on to it and say, I believe that's true for me. And people who believe his promise are the ones who experience the promise. Because it takes both things. It takes God's promise, but then it takes people believing it and holding on to it for it to become a reality. We're told in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 1.20, that, we'll just read it here, for all the promises of God, all the promises of God, this is speaking of everything God spoke in the Old Testament, throughout history, all the promises of God, find their yes, or find their answer, find a resounding yes, in Him, speaking of Jesus. All the promises of resounding yes, in Christ that is why it's through him that we utter our amen so that's saying God, every promise that God has made is fulfilled or it's it comes about through Jesus but then there's a the second part of the equation it's people saying amen and what does amen mean? is that just like a religious word you say at the end of a prayer? But amen just means like that's right I believe it that's what, it, when you say amen, you're saying, that's right. I believe it. And so, God promises, and then it's the question is, who is going to say, that's right. I believe that to be true. That's why it's can we utter our amen to God for his glory. And that's really important. But God's promises, they come not just so that we can have a better life. I mean, that's, that's, that's good. That's God's <laughs> desire. But... God's promises come so that he can be glorified. So that the world can see who he is and how powerful he is and how good he is. And glory comes to him. So, we're going to look here, as I said like eight times now, at five promises that Haggai brings. Um, the people are, they've got this emotional letdown. So what's the first promise? After they're like, hey, this temple doesn't look so great. Verse four. Yet now be strong, Ozerobah Belt declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work. Why? For I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. I am with you according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. And the Israelites needed to hear that. They needed to hear that God was with them. Because it wasn't. they weren't feeling like God was with them. This temple project, it wasn't looking so much like God was with them. The evidence and their emotions and the circumstances didn't look like God was with them. But they needed to hear the voice of God say, hey, I am with you. I'm with you. My spirit remains with you. And we need to hear that. That's the first promise that comes to us, is that God is with us. God is with us. Man, that's good news right there, right? God is with us. That doesn't mean just that he's, not only is he present, but he's for us. He's with us like he's, he's with us. He's not against us. He's with us. And if God is with us, man, that changes everything. God is with us. God wants us to hear today that, that he is with us. He is not angry. He is not a thousand miles away. He is with us. And really, that, has become, that is a constant reality because of Jesus. That Jesus came to the world, and one of his names is Emmanuel, God with us. And for everyone who believes in Jesus and turns from their sin and becomes faithful to Him, puts faith in Him, He actually comes and lives inside of us and is always with us. And so, God, but we need to, like, we don't always feel that. But God's promise is hey, I am with you. I'm with you. I'm with you today. It's interesting that there's kind of the, the sub point in this whole promise that God's giving is hey, because I'm with you, work. Like, because I'm with you, give yourself fully to my work in the world. Give myself fully to the temple. Give myself fully. What does that mean? We talked about last week, the temple is really the project of God touching lives and changing lives and bringing people's lives together as his people. Because I'm with you, man, give your all to loving people. Give your all to, I know, I know they're all knuckleheads. I know that person let you down yesterday. I know just like you did that other person. But, hey, give yourself, don't, don't give up. Keep loving people. Work because I am with you. And I'm building something through this. I'm with you. So That's the first promise. Um, It goes on in verse 6. God doesn't stop. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth, and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations, so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of Hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of Hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of Hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of Hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater so God tells the Israelites, hey, I know that this temple doesn't look like all that much right now, but trust me, the future of this house is going to be greater than its past glory. And this is the second promise we're going to look at today. The second promise God gives us is that our future is better than our past. That's good, right? That's our future is better than our past. Our life is not determined by our past in God. Our life is not determined by our present. You could also say our future is better than our present. The way things are right now and the way they have been is not the future that God has for us. God's future is better. And so God was saying, hey, this temple, I know it doesn't look like much, but I'm in this thing. And I'm going to use this house. It's interesting, actually, that that Jesus himself, the Messiah, came and was in this temple that they were building. And I think even though more than that physical house, what God was referring to was that the house that he was building was not just a physical building, but it was his church. It was his project. It was his people that he is raising up in the world, filled with his spirit, where his presence is, who are representing him to the world. The latter glory of this house is greater than the past glory. And that's just, that's just how God works. That's how God works. In Proverbs 4.18, we're told that the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until the full day. That's what God does in his people's lives. The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. You see a glimmer at first, and then it just gets brighter and brighter. As we follow Jesus, we're changed. And as we follow Jesus together, God does more and more. The future is better than the past. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. We're becoming like Him, the one we're looking at, it. from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord. Who is the Spirit? That's what, it, that's what life looks like as a follower of Jesus. We, we look at Him, we worship Him, we learn to know him more and more, and as we do that, we are changed to become more like him, to become more and more the person, the man or the woman we were meant to be, from one degree to another, little by little by little. Our future is better than our past. Our future is better than our past. Our future is better than our, our, is better than our present. I, that's, I like this because that says, okay, man, the present, doesn't a lot of my life, but the future God has for me is better than what I've experienced so far. If I can trust Him, if I can believe His promise and hang in there, God's got a better future for me. And what I've seen so far, that's, there's a lot of good in there, there's a lot of difficulty in there. But, guys, I keep looking at you. You have more for me. You have more for me. You have more for us. What we've experienced so far is not the end future better in our past. Okay, I could just talk about that all day, but we got two more here. We're, here. Um, we're going to skip down to verse 18. Haggai um, talks, this whole analogy here, he's talking about things that are kind of that are frustrating and where it seems like evil is winning in, their, in our world um, and where futility is, has the upper hand. In verse 18, he says this, he says Consider from this day onward the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider. Is the seed yet in the barn? Do we still have any seed left in our barns? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree have yielded nothing. Nothing. And that's a theme throughout this book. They're saying, hey, you've been like sowing, planting, doing all this, but it's not yielding any results. You're not seeing. The fruit of it, and um, what is interesting here, if you look at the, the chronology, that Haggai's buddy Zechariah was also prophesying, and he actually had a message just a couple weeks before this, and it was basically a call to repentance. He said, "Hey, you're you're not you need to turn away from your sins and serve God, and then you know that's that's you're you're still living for yourself, not for Him. Kind of what we talked about last week, and so they heard this message." They were responding. They were turning from selfish living and turning from sin and turning to follow God. And Haggai saying, hey, but you know, you seem like it's not working. Living for yourself isn't working. You're planting, but there's no harvest. That That hasn't been working. But he says in, he continues, he says, but from this day on, I will bless you. From this day on, I will bless you. That's a good promise. Third promise is that God blesses us when we turn to him. God blesses us when we turn to him. It's funny. It's almost there's this, this like, sensibility in Christian circles to to not uh, talk about God's blessing too much. To be like, oh, well, I don't know if God really wants to bless us. Like, that might be, like, prosperity gospel. That might be something that's not good. I saw someone... Post on Facebook, God's purpose is always there's a blessing that comes when we turn to Him. There's a blessing that comes as we follow Him. It may not look like what we want, the, what we think the blessing should look like. It may we maybe think it's just financial or just something, getting what we want. And you know, those may be good things. There, there are financial implications in general for following God. Um, there are following God's principles, there are good results. From that, but it's so much deeper than that. There's a blessing of God's favor and fulfillment and relationships and confidence that comes from our relationship with God. God blesses us when we turn to Him. There's a that's that's something He has for us. Okay, um, three out of five. Anybody encouraged yet? All right, you guys got something to share yet? I can't wait to hear a couple of these. Um, number four. Let's look at Haggai. We're going to read one we looked at already, and then we're going to move ahead. In verse 6, he had said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. And then in verse 20, he says something similar. So the word of the Lord came the second time to Haggai on the twenty-fourth day of the month, speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, <clears> saying, "I am about to shape the heavens and the earth, and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations, and overthrow the chariots and their riders, and the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother." Maybe going, where's the blessing in this? It's talking like there's a whole lot of shaking going on, right? You so say I'm shaking thrones, I'm shaking kingdoms, I'm shaking things up. And is this not 2020, right? I mean there's a whole lot of shaking going on in the world today. Shaking politically, relationally, cities, health stuff. There's 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 so much shaking. But the shaking, the promise in this, is that God is in the shaking. The shaking is not just random, it's not controlled by evil, although it may seem like it sometimes. It may seem like, man, this feels like the world's out of control, it seems like evil has the upper hand. but God is involved in the shaking. We talked, at the, end, the beginning of this year, our whole our series was about upheaval, and how God is bringing in an upheaval the status quo, and our theme verse was from Hebrews, which was actually alluding to this on um, this New Testament passage alluding to this, where God says that he shakes the things that can be shaken so that what can't be shaken will remain. And God does that. He shakes stuff up in our life, not just to make us uncomfortable, but so that we can find the things that really matter and our lives can be built upon him and the things that are true, the things that lack. So God is, God is, God is in his shaking. whatever we're going through personally, Maybe you're like, man, this seems like too much. God is, I'm, I'm not saying that he's the cause of all this stuff, but he is in there. He is part of the process. And he is shaking. You look at this, he's talking about thrones and kingdoms. He's talking about the powers of evil. He's talking about forces that are against his purpose. And he's saying he is shaking those things up to shake them off. And that's what he does in our life. So we can come to know him and be established in him and have the life that he intends for us. So God is in the shaking. A lot of times it feels like in that shaking, it feels like evil is winning. But it's really more like it's 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 like it's like a drowning person, like it's like scrambling, like trying to to grab onto something because it feels it knows that God is winning, that God's kingdom is coming. And evil is like death rows, just like ah trying to do something, because it's actually God is shaking things up to bring His kingdom about and bring what He's doing. So God is in the shaking. And then one more. Last verse of this, this book here. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Sheltiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring. The signet ring was the ring that the king would wear. that would have his stamp. And that stamp they would put in, in wax, and then they would put it on a piece of paper or parchment to issue edicts and decrees that would be authoritative from the king. So God said, I'm taking you, Zerubbabel, I'm making you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Now, what's that all about? I'm making you like a ring. I, I, don't, I don't know. But you think about he was Zerubbabel again was this, this governor. He was the heir of David. He was the, the rightful king. But not only he, but his dad and his grandfather and his great-grandfather and their uncles, there, were just a, there was a long line of bad kings in his family who hadn't really done what they were called to do. And they'd been unfaithful, they, they lost the kingdom, they went into captivity under them, and they were just, there was just a sense of, like, man, I, we were supposed to be this, but this is who we really are. We're, we're failures. I'm a failure. I don't, I don't really have what it takes. And God was saying, no, I have chosen you. I am with you. I have made you my signature. I have made you my leader. And I'm giving you authority to do what I've called to do in the world. fifth promise is that we have a new identity in Christ. I have a new identity in Christ. It's really cool. I kind of put it in your notes for extra reading, but in the next book, in Zechariah chapter 3, there's a similar encounter with even more cool details with Joshua the religious spiritual leader and God has this whole encounter with him where he takes away his his bad identity and his sense of being a failure and being dirty and unfruitful and God says no don't listen to those accusations of the enemy you're my chosen one you're the priest that called and so that's what God does with Joshua that's what he does with Zerubbabel that's what he does with us he says you know what that identity that whole identity that's not the identity I have for you. That identity that you've thought about yourself, maybe that was spoken to you by others, maybe that it just seems like that's the only identity, the only person you could be, that's not our identity in Christ. When we believe in Him and are His, He gives us a new identity. But there's a battle to what will we believe. Will we believe what God says about us? Or will we believe what we feel about ourselves but the promise is we have a new identity in Christ God is it's it's like all the same things God promised to to Zerubbabel and and so much more he gives to us so these are some good promises now these are some good promises I trust that God is giving you something today like you know I really I need that and I want to encourage you this is really a huge part of how we how we follow Jesus how we follow God is we hear his word We hear his promises, and we hold on to it. Now, i got to, like, write it down for myself. Say, God, that was, you spoke that, and that's for me. And I'm going to write it down. I'm going to memorize that. I'm going to commit that to memory, and I'm going to start thinking about it. I'm going to start speaking it to myself throughout the day. That I'm not a loser. I'm a winner. Man, I I, I got what it takes, because you say I do. There that promise is to, like, write it down. And then train our mind and exercise our faith to hold on to what God's promise is for us. And as we, as we hold on to the promise and sow it into our hearts, it grows. And the promise becomes more and more reality over time. So I'm excited to see, you know, just how, how, these, how these promises take root in our lives. So who's got something? Who's got something today? Let's hear from cool people. Like, are like, man, that was, that was a promise for me. I needed that. That was something God had for me. If you got it, um, you can come up here if you want, or you can just talk loud and clear from where you're at. Who's first?
2: to prepare the way and in kindness you follow behind me to spare me from the harm of my past with your hand of love upon my life you impart a blessing to me and I thought this really went so well with it because um, God is so faithful even when we aren't and it does feel like everything's shaking but you know as we lose our entertainment and we lose uh, and we lose some of our securities. Man, I don't know about you, but it's just making me just hold tighter to Father God and that I can't lose him. And I think that's like the best Mm -hmm. is that we we can't. So good. Thank
1: you, Elaine. That's really good.
2: Isn't that true? I mean, I feel
1: like the whole like, shaking of the world, it, I think God's designing it, and his, his purpose in it is that we would draw close to Him, you know, and people would turn to Him like never before, but it's we have to turn to Him to experience that. Yeah. Good. Who else? Yeah, Jesus. Oh, that's great. Wow. That's that's a real testimony. There's 20 years, huh? 20 years of holding on when things look like a letdown. Wow. There's probably no daughter ever more excited to have their mom tell them to watch a pastor. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. I love it. Good. Maybe one or two more? Yeah, Captain.
0: Um so God's kinda of been showing me recently with like all of like the evils that are just being like unmasked uh-huh. um in our world and how it like stirs me up and like makes me angry. But like God shows me that like for a farmer or a gardener, like if there's crap in their garden or whatever, they have to like dig it out so that like the life can like really thrive from that mm-hmm. and so God's been showing me like in that shaking that he's literally, he's letting his truth and like the realities of our world like remain and that so that we can wow. put our faith in him so I love it. it's good. what's the crap coming to the surface <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't look good
1: but it's yeah, it's feels good Good. Is so
2: there one more? I do. Good. Okay, Natalie.
0: Yeah, while um, you were talking, it reminded me of like a, a verse that like, God showed me. I think last year, it's actually at the beginning of, after the Israelites just came back from exile. So it's Ezra 3.6, where it's, The priests had begun to sacrifice for an to the Lord. This was even before they had started to lay the foundation of the Lord's temple. And I think kind of with when you're talking about like, you know, hope deferred makes the heart sick. I feel like so many times like like God has a promise for me, but I'm like, I don't want to celebrate yet because if this doesn't work out I know I'm going to be disappointed. Yeah. And I don't want to like, you know, tell the people about it because if it doesn't happen, then like I'll look like a fool or something. But mm-hmm. I think like seeing them, they like, they're still sacrificing to the Lord and celebrating him even before like they have the promise in the temple or like they're like, you know, nation being established. so like I'm. i expecting like because he made this
1: promise to carry it out. So I think that's just yeah. like, encouraging that we're allowed to celebrate. Even yes. Ah, mm-hmm. that's see so it. good, so good. Celebrating before we see yeah. the, the the final fulfillment of the promise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's actually and even just like dancing this morning, you know, and being happy and laughter. Like those are those are some of the most Christian things we can do actually, I mean there's been a lot said about the importance of lament and grieving and that is true too but there is the hope in God is that, okay there's still the brokenness in the world but Jesus has brought his victory into the world and we can celebrate before we see it all completed before we see it all worked out We we can praise, we can celebrate, we can laugh we can dance because we have the promise, even though it's not all fulfilled. I heard, read, I saw someone wrote this week that even beauty, they said beauty is an act of revolt against the fallen world, or something like that. And it's, that is true, you know, like
2: doing things that are beautiful and and good. It can seem like, well, what's the point? But it actually is saying, no, there is a,